The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you are now with is not your husband. What you have said, just said, is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? The Gospel of the Lord. Greetings, one fellowship family and friends. Pastor Paul here, and I'm so excited to dive into John chapter 4 with you today. But before we begin, let's bow our heads as I share a brief word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come, Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, the title of today's message is Barrier Breaking Love. And I'd like to begin by asking this question. Have you ever been a part of a dynamic rescue mission? I recently came across this amazing story. It was a choppy afternoon on the lake and Jimmy McDonald from Albany was paddling in a kayak. As McDonald tells it, he drifted away from his wife and stepkids because he was taking pictures with his new smartphone and he wasn't really paying attention. As he tried to make his way back, the water got choppier and he paddled harder and harder before he tipped over and even lost his paddle. He was in about 30 feet of water, his ill-fitting life jacket coming up over his head and he was holding onto the kayak with one hand and onto his $1,400 new smartphone with his other. He says people, other kayakers and canoers, were passing by him in the distance, but the former amateur boxer's pride would not let him scream for help. So for several exhausting minutes, he kept trying to right the kayak, and that's when he said, all right, I think I might die today. I think this might be it. I prayed to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for help, McDonald said. The story continues. Greg Barrett is a captain for Tiki Tours. Quote, a lot of things aligned that day, said Barrett. He typically pilots partiers, but not on this day. At first, Barrett saw Jimmy's paddle and then one of his passengers said they heard a call for help. So as noon, excuse me, so as soon as I turned the boat towards him, I realized his life preserver had been in the upper portion of his head and he was, he was just hanging on for dear life, according to Barrett. And then they got to him. A deckhand and the passengers pulled him on board. And here's where it gets interesting. Jimmy is a drug counselor and a recovering addict. Quote, how funny is it that I've been sober for seven years and I get saved by a tiki bar, McDonald shared. And then I even have a picture of one of these tiki bars from Lake George. And here's where the story gets really interesting and really fun. You see, it was not just an ordinary tiki bar experience that day. That bar was full of priests and seminarians from the Paulus Fathers, a Catholic retreat on the lake. McDonald prayed for help from above and it arrived in the form of men of the cloth on a floating bar. The priests and seminarians were, who were on board have no doubt that a higher power played a role in them being there when McDonald needed them the most. We're missionaries, says Chris Milano, a second year seminarian. For us that day, that was our mission to be present and to help someone in need. Yes, indeed. So whether it was a divine appointment or not, this story makes for a great story. Here's why. On the one hand, you have a recovering addict who's drowning. And he's partially drowning because he's refusing to let go of his expensive new phone. And he's also refusing to cry out 
for help because of his pride. Meanwhile, on the other hand, you have a group of priests who've rented out a floating tiki bar for some fun in the sun, only only to be a part of a wild rescue mission. What's not to love about the story? So let's turn this story towards you and me. What if I told you that this type of story is not meant to be an outlier, but actually the norm for followers of Jesus? That we are meant to position ourselves in unlikely places, with unlikely people, to live out an unlikely mission for the sake of others. Would you believe me? Let's dive into our passage today. The big idea from John 4 is this. If we grasp the message of Jesus, we will join the mission of Jesus and extend God's barrier-breaking love to our world in need. Let me repeat that. If we grasp the message of Jesus, we will then join the mission of Jesus and extend God's barrier-breaking love to our world in need. Let's unpack this today. Point one, grasp the message of Jesus. Our passage begins. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Let's unpack this. The first thing we need to know is that God's love has no ceiling and has no floor. What do I mean? Well, if you recall my sermon from two weeks ago, we shared the famous passage, John 3, 16, which reads, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And as we examined John 3 a couple weeks ago, we saw how Jesus had first told an elite Jewish leader named Nicodemus that he must be born again before he shared the famous passage. To this proud and prideful man, Jesus made clear that no matter how much knowledge a person possesses, no matter how much power a person possesses, and no matter what birthright a person possesses, he or she and all of us need the grace of God in our lives. Which is why Jesus was sent by God's love into the world. Thus, even God's love is offered to the most polished yet prideful members of our society. God's love has no ceiling and God's love has no floor. It's absolutely no coincidence that in John 4, Jesus moves from talking 
to a pious, from talking to a pious and proud Jewish man in John 3 to conversing with a dis, uh, disgraced and despised person, a Samaritan woman in this chapter. As Corey Tinboom so eloquently put, put it, there is no pit so deep, um, God's love is not deeper still. And that's what we see in John chapter four today. There's no pit so deep, God's love is not deeper still. The woman with whom Jesus initiates a conversation had three strikes against her, her race, her gender, and her morality. First, her race. The Jewish people of that day hated the Samaritans. They were seen as half-breeds and criminals and rebels, and their divisions ran old and they ran deep. According to one historian, D.A. Carson, after the Assyrians captured Samaria in 722 to 721 BC, they deported all of the Israelites of substance and settled the land with foreigners who intermarried with their surviving Israelites and adhered to some form of their ancient religion. And after the exiled Jews returning to their homeland, the remains of the Southern kingdom viewed the Samaritans not only as the children of political rebels, but as racial half-breeds whose religion was tainted by various unacceptable elements. Practically speaking, Jews, faithful Jews, would have had nothing to do with Samaritans. They would have never shared a meal together. They would have never gone into the same house together. It's even been reported that faithful Jews would refuse to travel through Samaria because of their disdain and lack of trust of the Samaritans. Jews of that day hated Samaritans. And yet, what do we see in John 4? Jesus entering Samaria and then asking a Samaritan for a drink. Friends, this would have been scandalous. The second strike against this woman was her gender. During that time, women were not treated as equals to men and accordingly Jewish men, especially rabbis, were told never to speak alone with a woman. And just listen to this quote, this instruction from that time period. A man shall not be alone with a woman in an inn, not even his own sister or daughter on account of what men may think. A man shall not talk with a woman in the street, not even his own wife, and especially not with another woman on account of what men may say. And yet, what do we see in John 4? Jesus risking his reputation to speak with this Samaritan woman. Once again, Jesus crosses a cultural barrier. And finally, we see strike three against this woman, her morality. Note the time and circumstances of their encounter. Jesus met her at noon at Jacob's well. Why is this notable? Well, because women of that day, they would have gone to draw water in the coolness of the morning or the coolness of the evening. She goes in the heat of the day at noon. Furthermore, women of that day would have never gone to a well to draw water alone. They would always go together. And yet here we see the woman going to the well 
alone. And lastly, archaeologists tell us there would have been other wells closer to her town, Sicker. And yet here we see in our passage, this woman at noon by herself traveling a far distance to go to the well of Jacob. Why would she do all these things? Well, the reasons made clear later in her dialogue with Jesus. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you're right. You say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said just now is quite true. You see, it turns out the woman of John 4 had a checkered past and was most likely going way out of her way to be left all alone. Three strikes, three reasons to reject her. Yet where do we find Jesus? Right beside her, at the heart of her pain and her shame. If his actions could talk, they'd probably say, see that racist barrier? That can't stop God's love for you. See that prejudice barrier? That won't stop God's love for you. See that shame barrier? That's covered in full for you. Jesus says to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I imagine that no person in this woman's entire life had ever been so kind to her. I'll never forget the kindness shown to me by Mr. Bill Jameson, my English professor at boarding school, the Macaulay School, one day my junior year of high school. Here's the scene. I had just been caught after a heavy night of drinking with my friends, and I was so ashamed. As the golden child of my family, I'd not only let myself down, I I knew I'd let my parents down. They were already deeply suffering at that point because my one and only brother was actually in rehab for drug addiction. And I remember feeling like the biggest loser in the world. Perhaps you can relate. Now, the irony in my story is that I was scheduled to read scripture in our school-wide chapel the day after I was caught drinking. It had been on the schedule for weeks, and even with the suspension from school looming, they would not let me out of my assignment. I remember literally shaking in terror and shame before I was to go up to the pulpit. And that's when Mr. Jameson, he came over, he put his hand on my shoulder and in a tender voice, he said, it will be okay. You'll get through this. And having spent countless nights with Mr. Jameson praying through the book of common prayer in a small group, 
I knew what he meant. He was saying, you'll get through this because we'll get through this. God is with you and so am I. And his kindness was exactly what I needed to hear that day. Perhaps you need this kind of kindness and love in your life today. Barrier after barrier, burden after burden, perhaps you become accustomed to carrying a heavy load of pain and shame. Well, friends, I'm here to tell you that God loves you. And he loves you so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to not only rescue you, but restore you and redeem you. For God so loved the world from the highest of the high to the lowest of the low that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Do you believe this? Do you know this love in your life? At the end of this sermon, I'm going to invite you to believe this good news and to place your trust in Jesus. Yet before I do that, I'd like to ask everyone who's been placing their trust in Jesus for some time to listen closely to my next point. Join the mission of Jesus. If you're someone who's been walking with Jesus for some time, let me say it again. Join the mission of Jesus. What do I mean by this? When reading this passage, John 4, have you ever considered that it's meant not simply to be an invitation, but a model of faith for you and me? Have you ever considered that this passage is not simply an invitation to faith, but a model of faith for you and me? You see, in the book of Acts, Following his death and resurrection, Jesus would go on to give this specific charge to his disciples. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and in Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. And did you know that in the opening pages of the book of John, that is the exact path on which Jesus took his disciples? In John 2, he took them to Jerusalem. In John 3, he took them to Judea. In John 4, he took them to Samaria. Interesting, right? The point is Jesus not only wants to save you and me, he wants to send you and me in his love to our world in need. In Jesus, we are called to action. The action of going out with God's love. Friends, so how do we do that? Well, here are some practical takeaways from our passage so we can join the mission of Jesus. Now, if you're a note taker, you might wanna get your pen and paper ready as I'm going to go through these takeaways rather quickly. First, make grace the base of your life. Make grace the base in your life. Whether you relate more to Nicodemus or the woman at the well, God's love can only be extended by those who embrace God's unmerited forgiveness and favor in their own life 
and then walk in humility. In the words of the Apostle Paul, for it's by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Second, see lives, not labels in the people around you. See lives, not labels in the people around you. We live in a world of instant branding of people in groups, don't we? Did you notice that Jesus did not take this approach with the woman at the well? Instead, he recognized her value well before he recognized her shortcomings. In Proverbs 22, we read, rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is maker of them all. And as the author of life, Jesus cares for all people and his followers, all of us are called to do the same. Third, build bridges, not walls to people who are different than you. Examining the scriptures, it's clear that God will do whatever it takes to rescue and build a new type of community from every nation, tribe, people, and language. What this means is we are called to go in God's love to unlikely people, maybe even unlikable people, in unlikely places, maybe even unlikable places, to build relationships with an eternal perspective in mind. So let me ask, to whom or to where might God call you and me this year? And fourth, learn Learn to listen and share through stories, valuing connection ahead of conversion. As the old adage goes, don't tell me you care, show me you care. And that's what we see from Jesus in John 4. By asking questions and valuing connection, Jesus was able to hear the Samaritan's uh, woman's story and then share the gospel story. In a world where time is our most precious commodity, Taking the time to actually connect with someone and their story, it might cost us the most, but will promote and produce the most lasting impact in their lives and in the kingdom of God's uh, eternal uh, outcome. So in closing, one fellowship, family and friends, allow me to share our big idea one more time. If we grasp the message of Jesus, we will join the mission of Jesus and extend God's barrier-breaking love to our world in need. Let's grasp the mission and let's join the mission, shall we? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, for those who are listening right now, watching right now, for those who are so thirsty for living water, would you move across those barriers? Would you lift those burdens and would you give them your love today? If that's where you find yourself, that you are thirsty for the love of God that changes everything, say, I'm thirsty, God. And I believe you sent your son to rescue me and redeem me. I turn and trust you 
with my life right now. Help me grasp this message. And for those of us who feel convicted, called to go and to go out and join the mission of Jesus, God, would you fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit that we would be people of kindness and courage and go to unlikely people and unlikely places with an eternal perspective in mind. We pray all this for our satisfaction and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.